Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast, <clears throat> brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. Go to courtroomsciences.com. Look around. All of your litigation support needs, good blogs, articles, this podcast. Today's going to be a short one, folks, because it's a Sunday. I'm exhausted on the road on a 12-day trip because uh, things are kind of insane now. A lot of things going on, a lot of focus groups, a lot of mock trials, and a lot, a lot, let me repeat, a lot of witness training, particularly corporate reps, corporate reps, most important, one of the most important witnesses you have. Takes a lot of time. Been a very tough position, have a list of things to go over. It's um, it's a time-consuming process. So that's what I'm doing over the next two days here in beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, last night was um, the best night of 2022. Just gonna tell you right now. Um, in one of the previous episodes, I had told you I just got back from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and the Duke Blue Devils absolutely crushed us in our home court. Well, I'm proud to say that last night. During Coach K's final home game at Cameron Indoor, the 11-point underdogs, North Carolina Tar Heels, go into Durham, into Cameron Indoor Stadium, and absolutely shock the world. All the Duke fans were crying. That was the best part of the game, actually. It wasn't just necessarily the Tar Heels game, the victory. It was just watching Duke fans sobbing and crying in the stands thank you espn not a big espn fan because they were gushing all over coach k the whole week um thank you for showing uh distraught upset crying duke fans it was amazing amando bay cut 23 points uh so yeah i lost my mind last night and sure just just happiness and uh uh, my neighbors were not happy with me because I was out back on the porch screaming out the uh, TV. But a huge victory. Uh, today, we're going to start with the rant. It's a rant I've given before. I'm going to do it again. The pivoting rant, folks. So I get a call from a trial attorney here in Florida. And the his co-defendant, right, the co-defendant sitting next to him at counsel's table. They're packed in pretty tight. And the co-defendant has a notepad. And the notepad has the word pivot all over it. All right. So apparently this co-defendant gets up, goes on the stand, gets called as an adverse witness. And guess what he does? Pivot, 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 pivot. Well, the story I got was that it failed miserably as usual. And then the day after this testimony, this defendant was forced to settle for policy limits while the other, the other defendants kept going because they didn't pivot. So I'm just telling you folks, pivoting does not work. If anyone tells you that this is a wise strategy to use with your witnesses, um, they should be shot. And um, it's a very expensive uh, proposition that you're facing. We've got the better system. We've scientifically proved it. We've also scientifically proved that jurors do not like pivoting. It comes across as very evasive, uh, evasive defensive. 
<clears throat> oftentimes argumentative. <clears throat> Very bad system. Don't do it. Defendants should embrace their care, not defend their care. Embrace your conduct, not defend your conduct. You got an expert witness, they'll defend your conduct all day. You have, you have a defense attorney, they'll defend your conduct all day. You don't need the defendant up there being defensive. Jurors don't like it. And you're going to have a nuclear verdict on your hands, or in this case, nuclear settlement. Unwise, very, very unwise. That's the rant. That's the Kanaski rant for today. Uh, this is going to be a short one. Um, let's talk about um, the concept of behavioral consistency. Now we have courtrooms open, um, defense counsels flipping out, call me left and right, asking for help as they should. Uh, but the first thing I always go over with witnesses is that a trial is a battle of perception and that behavioral consistency is very highly correlated with honesty and truthfulness. And we have the four golden traits, the four golden traits that if your witness does this at all times, they're, they're in really, really good shape from a perceptual standpoint, but that's what the jury's looking at, okay? Number one, professionalism. Professionalism. How is your, how is your defendant sitting? What are they wearing? What's their facial expression? What are their man mannerisms? Job interview demeanor, right? Sitting up straight, pen in hand, legal pad, you know, paying attention. Looking like they're at a job interview. Okay, pleasant facial expression. This is very, very important. Many defendants sit in the courtroom and they look like they're in front of a firing squad. Okay, or they look like they're at the DMV. Go to the DMV. Want to see some bad body language? Maybe the worst. <clears throat> Can't look like that. Jurors are going to see that. Number two, confidence slash comfort. Your defendant needs to look like they actually want to be there. Okay. They have to ooze, not arrogance, but confidence. They have to look comfortable. Uh, I tell every single defendant, particularly if it's their first time testifying a trial, I say, you got to get over to the courtroom the week before this trial or two weeks before the trial. Sit in the actual courtroom if you can. Hopefully something's going on. Go or go find another courtroom. Find a trial that's going on. Sit in the back. Watch how the judge controls the courtroom. Listen to the attorneys. Examine witnesses. Evaluate witness testimony. Okay? Based on your training. Very important stuff that the 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 witness is comfortable in the setting that they're in. If they're walking into the courtroom for the first time and uh, having those visceral emotional reactions, they're going to look terrified or really, really uncomfortable. <clears throat> so number two, you know, got to be, got to look confident, got to look comfortable. <clears throat> number three, which I think is the most important, maintaining emotional poise. Gonna hear a lot of bad stuff, and we're gonna go out through, we're gonna go through the phases of the trial next. But maintaining emotional poise, 
regardless of what's going on. And that's, I think that's the most difficult thing to do for a defendant uh, when they're hearing bad things is to sit there, keep a straight face, take notes and not, you know, react behaviorally. Um, if your behavior is all over the place, the, the jury's going to pick up on it. It's the first thing that they notice. <clears throat> and that's what they're looking for. That's what happens in the movies and the TV shows. <clears throat> so emotional poise, critical. Finally, number four, fourth golden trait, being able to be engaged and attentive in the process. Can't fall asleep behind the wheel, can't look disinterested. And you got to pay attention to everything, <clears throat> even the bad stuff. If you're looking at your watch during plaintiff's opening statement, that's going to be a problem. Jurors are going to have a problem. If you're leaning over to your attorney constantly asking questions, <clears throat> jurors going to pick it up. They're going to know you're uncomfortable. Bad idea. So those are the four golden traits, professionalism, Confidence slash comfort, emotional poise, engagement, attentiveness. Now, why is this so important? This is what jurors largely have to judge your defendant. I mean, you know, trials can go on for weeks and your client's going to testify. Um, that may be for a half a day, right? A couple hours, half a day. Well, the other two weeks or three weeks, they're sitting at counsel's table next to you. And the jury is looking at and assessing their reactions to what's going on. <clears throat> so let's start with jury selection. Jury selection, this is, I think this is probably the most important. Okay. <clears throat> you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. This is the first time that the jurors are going to look at your client <clears throat> and they're going to make a million judgments <clears throat> because that's how they're wired to do things. So making sure that your defendant is ready behaviorally is key. So anytime a juror takes a look over at your table, they see, again, a professional, confident, comfortable, poised, engaged person. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's so important to do that. Whereas a lot of witnesses, um, you know, they're nervous they're anxious, they're fearful, or they're aggravated. They're aggravated that they have to be there, they're missing work, they're annoyed, they think it's a bullshit lawsuit. That, that can turn out in some really bad uh, body language, bad facial expressions. And so I think the hardest part about the, you know, maintaining appropriate behavior during jury selection is that it's, it's a long, tedious day. It's a very long, tedious day. And to sit there, you know, back straight, you know, leaning forward on the table, job interview demeanor, uh, there's a biomechanical effort and it's exhausting. It's very, very tedious. <clears throat> but day one's critical because they're going to make a lot of uh, judgments about your defendant. And uh, that's the time to start getting the lead, get the lead behaviorally. Okay, we spent a lot of time on the quality of witness testimony, effectiveness of witness testimony, how to derail the rate, the, the, the reptile plaintiff attack. Yeah, that's all well and fun. But the other 95% of this trial is going to be your witness sitting there reacting to things or 
most most importantly, not reacting to things. Phase one's jury select. Phase two, <coughs> opening statements. Uh, the plaintiff's opening statement's going to be brutal. And they're going to call your defendant out by name, by company, and torch them in front of this jury. Probably point over at your defendant. And as the jury is listening to this opening statement, they're watching the attorney, but every couple of minutes, they look over to see, hey, what's, what's this defendant doing? How, how are they reacting? Are they panicking? Right? Are they cool? They calm, they're collected. And when the, when the defendant is cool, calm, collected, taking notes, attentive, confident, comfortable look, right? That's what saves you. That's what saves you. No panic, no furious note-taking, no huffing and puffing, no passing notes to the attorney, no eye-rolling. Because everything you hear, you're going to completely disagree with. It's very natural to react to that negatively. That's what the jury's looking for. <clears throat> they want something to pick on behaviorally, and the witness needs to be trained they're going to have to sit through it. They're going to have to suck it up and maintain behavioral consistency through the plaintiff's opening, which is which is really, really rough. <clears throat> now, defense opening happens after that. Well, the witness can't all of a sudden become happy or get comfortable. No, 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 no. <clears throat> Got to be on guard. Um, behavioral consistency. So why, why, why this podcast is so important is that behavior needs to be consistent across phases and across attorneys. So the same exact behavior should be going on when defense counsel is giving their opening statement, okay? No fist bumps, no, you know, yeah, 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 chest bumping, right? Um, the same exact thing, pen in hand, taking notes, very professional, calm. <laughs> and after opening statements are done, Every juror should be saying, okay, I've heard both sides of this from the attorneys. I'm anxious to hear from these people. Okay. I'm anxious to hear from these people. That's your goal. But if the jury already sees your defendant going bananas or getting mad or rolling their eyes, all of a sudden the jury's like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> Does this person have something to hide? Are they guilty? Are they scared? You don't want the jurors thinking that before you before the witness even testifies. All right, so we got jury selection in phase one, phase two, opening statements, phase three, witnesses. Now we're going to focus on behavior here. We're not going to talk about the testimony. We spent enough time talking about that. But your witness now has to maintain these four golden traits when other witnesses are testifying. Plaintiff, family members. Okay. These folks may lie through their teeth. Yeah, your defendant gets angry. Can't show it. Hey, got to pay attention to it. Got to pay attention to the stuff you don't want to listen to. Because that jury, they're going to be locked in on the witness. Every couple of minutes, they're going to look over at the defendant. What's that defendant doing? If we have behavioral consistency, we're safe. Okay, it's the same formula, no matter what's going on. 
<clears throat> and it's tough. It's very tough because uh, the defendant's going to hear things that they don't want to hear. Now, some of this testimony from plaintiff or family members may be legitimately sympathetic, <clears throat> may be sad. There may be some crying involved. Now, it's okay to show compassion. It's okay to be compassionate. It's okay to look like you're a caring human being. Um, breaking down into tears and curling up into the fetal position, not a good idea. All right, got to be poised. <laughs> got to be poised. The key is you got to pay attention to it. A lot of defendants want to check out and just kind of ignore the uh, plaintiff or family member testimony because they think they think it's a crock of shit. And so they put their head down, they sit back in their chair, they get their notepad, they start making their grocery list. They start writing down their wagers, right? That they're going to turn into their bookie on March Madness. <clears throat> and they check out. Like, I'm, I'm not going to listen to this shit. <laughs> well, you have to because the jury's watching you. The jury is certainly watching you. Um, a subcategory with this topic, which I think is brutal. Um, expert witnesses. The plaintiff's expert witness Okay, like the family members were bad enough. And now you got now you got somebody getting paid a lot of money to come in and just rip you a new one in front of this jury. And what the defendant needs to understand is that it's the defense attorney's job to destroy that witness on cross-examination. It's not your I've had tons of witnesses, particularly defendants, ask me, well, shouldn't I be shaking my head no during the like, shouldn't I look angry? Like I disagree during that testimony. Hell no. You're going to do four things. Four, you're going to do four things, people, during that testimony. You're going to be professional. You're going to be confident. You're going to be poised. And you're going to be attentive. Behavioral consistency. Because the moment you lose your shit, you've just told the whole courtroom that you're uncomfortable with something, which, by the way, inadvertently provides value to that testimony. Folks, we don't need drama. We need it to be boring. The moment there's drama, every juror's on the edge of their seat. And now, now it's a movie. Now it's a TV show. And, 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 and your defendant looks guilty because they're losing their mind at counsel's table. Behavioral consistency is so important. Finally, closing arguments. We get to this now, as I've told you, uh, study this scientifically. Uh, the vast majority, 80 to 85 percent of jurors have, have, have solidified their decision by this point. Hate to break this to you, attorneys. Hate to break it to you. Uh, your closing argument's not doing a whole lot. But what you're doing with that, let, let's kind of sidestep here. What you're doing with that closing argument is you're providing the jurors with the sound bites to use during deliberations. That's your goal. You ain't convincing anybody of anything during your closing. I hate to, again, hate to, hate to be the bearer of bad news. You're, okay, less is going to be more. And you're providing the sound, the things that you want these jurors saying, particularly against pro-plaintiff jurors, that's the goal of closing argument. Now, again, plaintiff gets up, is going to give a, yeah, hey, I told you so, and go through the closing argument. Call your defendant a bunch of names. Again, these jurors are going to be watching that defendant. If we have behavioral consistency, we're golden. 
we're golden. But you have to the 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 defendant needs to be able to anticipate that, be ready for that, <clears throat> and know the name of the game, playing the behavior game. They need to know what the plaintiff and listen, everything I'm just telling you, every plaintiff attorney knows. And that's why they're trying to make your defendant so uncomfortable because they know if they can make your defendant look uncomfortable, it creates doubt. It creates uncertainty in the jurors' minds. And that's what leads to plaintiff's verdicts. If your, if your witness, if your defendant is stellar behaviorally, they're consistent, they do those four golden trades, <clears throat> take a lot of the, uh, a lot of the damage away. Okay, a lot of the leverage away. And then after, you know, after plaintiff's uh, closing, they have defense closing. Again, same four trades. Don't be looking happy. Don't be looking like you're crossing over the goal line. Don't spike the ball and do an end zone dance. Defendants, keep your eye on the ball. Maintain behavioral consistency. And then the jury goes. And they come back with their decision. Now, the reason I talk about this and why it's so important, again, it's roughly 90 to 95% of the communication going on with the jury is nonverbal. Okay, that 5 to 10% they're going to get in the stand. You've heard a million podcasts about that. And we'll talk more about that. But 90 to 95% of the communication with the jury is nonverbal. And so those four areas need to be taken very uh very very seriously we do a ton of mock trials <laughs> just did a um a group of post-trial interviews from a verdict that came back in the midwest so we talk to jurors all the time and you'd be shocked how often they talk about behavior facial expressions right posture demeanor they jump right on that stuff they jump right on that stuff. Now that seems very simple. The problem is the emotional problem. It's because your defendants here, I mean, half of the trial is bad. Half of the trial really sucks. And um, your witness can have, again, these visceral emotional reactions that can put them into a very bad spot. So as you prepare for trial, you need to go over these things with your witness. They need to understand that their nonverbal testimony is just as important as their verbal testimony. And many don't understand that. Many don't understand. <clears throat> and so it's a lot of self-awareness, self-discipline. And then when you have breaks throughout the day and the jury leaves the box, yeah, you can sit back, you can exhale, talk to your attorney, bitch, moan, kick, scream, do all that shit when the jury's not around. Okay. If you're really, really pissed off defendants during, you know, the plaintiff experts up there, or it's a plaintiff openings, jot, just calmly jot it down. Okay. And vent with your attorney during the breaks. Emotions like a pressure cooker, folks. It happens in every trial and it's going to come out non-verbally and every juror is going to notice it and they're going to use it <laughs> against you. All right, that's all I got here from Scottsdale, Arizona. Dr. Bill Kanaski, Litigation Psychology Podcast, brought to you by courtroomsciences.com. See you next time. Bye.